and My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 42. Okay, this is Lenny Lawson, the car guru. Do you want the good news or the bad news? Okay. Well, the good news is I'm here to protect your interests, to improve your car life. The bad news is that, I even hate to say it, Ford has decided to eliminate AM radio in their car and trucks and SUVs and everything they sell. No more AM. Now that does suck. Do you realize that it has been since Christmas Eve 1906, or so the story goes, that a Canadian-born inventor named Reginald Aubrey Fessenden played O Holy Night on the violin during a broadcast, the first broadcast. And, well, some people do dispute that version of the events, but it is said to be the first use of something called amplitude modulation, which would later become known as AM radio. But in any case, uh, widespread AM broadcasting was apparently not established until the 20s, following the development of something called vacuum tube receivers and transmitters. A guy named Powell Crosley had a huge impact on the early days of radio. Remember the Crosley radios? Well, your grandparents, maybe your parents listened to uh, Amos and Andy and... uh, uh, the sh- only the shadow knows, you know, those types of shows on the radio. They would just sit around and listen to the radio all the time. Can you imagine uh, doing that now? How the family would gather around and just use their ears and their imaginations to picture what was going on. That's just a beautiful thought. Yeah, Pal Crosley and his brother, his brother was the engineer. Pal was the the brains behind the outfit as far as creativity was concerned, and they developed a very powerful, I think the second or third radio station in the nation. And it's still the most powerful uh, AM radio station out there in Cincinnati. Just seems like an odd place. You would think it'd be in New York or, you know, someplace like that. But no, it's in Cincinnati, Ohio. And Powell and his brother uh, developed their radios and they sold refrigerators and they sold cars, little Crosley automobiles. Uh, They did that. Uh, successfully for a short period of time, and then petered out when people got kind of got tired of the uh, the look of the Crosley automobiles. Look at them up. Look them up online. You'll see what I'm talking about. But what an inventive and creative family, and um, had a lot to do with AM radio. But AM radio is, I guess, it's in danger to a large extent. What's going to happen to all these AM radio stations when none of the cars carry AM? And that's coming. It's not just Ford. Don't just pick on Ford. It's actually all of them are going to eliminate AM. And the reason is because they say that if you want to listen to those stations, you can listen to them online. And that's true. You can if you listen to stuff online, if you have a smartphone or an iPad or a computer. But I guess they think that most of us oldies are going to go away and the young people are already well-ingrained in the digital world, and they're just not going to be listening to AM radio going down the road. So it's probably a smart move. I hate to say it, but it is. But there is no denying the importance of the radio, especially in those early years. That's how the uh, government, people like Franklin D. Roosevelt, consoled a worried nation during his fireside chats. But it really hit the road, literally, um, in 1924, 
when a company called Kelly's Motors in Australia installed the first car radio. Six years later, the American Galvin Manufacturing Corporation marketed a Motorola-branded radio receiver for a whopping $130. That was a lot of money in 1924. In 1946, there were an estimated 9 million AM radios in use. And when television came along in the 50s and surpassed AM radio, the AM audience was further reduced by competition from something else, another band of radio called frequency modulation. Yep, that's FM. Uh, as well as satellite radio, podcasting, music streaming, and all that stuff. And that's what the, the folks that, um, that follow us, the young folks, are going to be listening to for, I guess, the rest of their days. Now for a little bit of justification, Ford really isn't the only car maker, like I said, pulling the plug on AM radio. The automakers say that the EV's electric motors interfere with AM frequencies, so it creates some annoying buzzing noises. I haven't noticed that on my hybrid, but maybe that's the case with, on a full electric vehicle. Now the government isn't very excited about this because a lot of the public notices are broadcast over AM band, the automakers say that they're still going to be offering AM. Like I say, it's going to be through the infotainment center. According to a guy named Craig Fugate, who is the former director of the Federal Emergency Management Agency, he says when all else fails, radio stations are often the last line of communications that communities have. But, you know, you just won't have it in your car unless you are streaming it from some type of an online app. But you'll still be able to get it at home, so, you know. I guess that's okay. So that's the bad news. But we'll be back in just a minute and try to uplift your spirits just a little bit. I'll see you in just one minute. You know, when you look back in the automotive history, there have been some incredible rivalries. A few of them that come to mind, Mustang and Camaro, Galaxy and Impala, Corvette and, eh, Thunderbird, maybe in the early days, Silverado, and F-150. Well, now there's another one, the Jeep Wrangler and the Ford Bronco. I remember a few years ago when there were all these rumors about when the new Ford Bronco was going to be introduced and what it was going to look like, and I remember several months, probably six months, before the vehicle actually came out, Ford teased us with a uh, shot of the headlights on the vehicle. And they did look kind of different, very unusual headlights. That's one of the ways you can recognize a Bronco coming towards you at night. But when it finally did arrive, there were a number of issues. Uh, number one was the pandemic. I mean, it was the absolute worst time in the world to introduce a new vehicle. But, you know, they were already so far in, they pretty much had to. Well, then we had all the supply constraints, and, and, and uh, Ford had a terrible problem with the tops, the hard tops on the, on the Bronco. And they were just, they were defective. So they had to replace all of those tops before they could deliver the first Bronco. And they did. They got over the hump. I mean, it was a long time coming. We still have uh, great shortages. Matter of fact, I'll tell you how short. Ford could not satisfy all of the reservation holders for the 2022 Bronco. So they rolled their orders over into the early part of 2023, model year that is. Well, so that shut down the order bank for, well, up until last week. And they opened up the order bank for 2023 orders to finish the rest of the year. 
You know how long they opened the order bank? One day. And then they closed it because they, they got all the reservations that they could possibly build. Now, Broncos are built in Michigan, and it's not like we're getting them from overseas. But right now, the plant capacity, uh, the restrictions on uh, employment, you know, trying to find the people to expand production, but primarily just trying to find the materials to build the things. It's just uh, they, they can't get what they need to build them. But they're still competing. Uh, if you look at the sales numbers, it's very interesting. In the first quarter of 2023, Jeep managed to sell 30, 37,971 Wranglers. Uh, Ford actually sold 32,430 Broncos. Now, on paper, it makes it seem like Wrangler had a more successful year, but it's really not that simple. Those 38,000 Wrangler sales were actually a decline of 17% versus the quarter uh, the first quarter of 2022. The Bronco sales total, however, increased 37.6% over that same time period. Now, you know, where are these people coming from that are buying the Broncos? Well, a lot of them are converts from pickup trucks and passenger cars and other, you know, types of SUVs. But folks, we're trading for a lot of Jeeps. A lot of folks who intended on buying a Jeep. You know, Jeep has always been kind of an aspirational vehicle. It's just something that a lot of people said, someday I want to own a Jeep. Well, now a lot of those people are saying, I wanted to own a Jeep, but now I want to own a Bronco because it's got higher off-road ratings, on-road ratings. It drives better, has more power. Uh, it has more room. And so, but you still have those Jeep diehards. And the last thing I want to do is, is alienate them. I've always been a Jeep lover. I mean, I owned a Jeep for, well, let's see, I bought one in 2011 and drove it till 2013. That's a long time for me. And I enjoyed driving it. It was a Jeep Unlimited. I lifted it, put some wheels, uh, bigger wheels and tires on it. It was kind of a medium blue color, and I just thought it was a beautiful vehicle. Now, would I ever take it on a trip? No. I mean, the ride was just too punishing and too much wind noise, and the Bronco just doesn't have that. And I think... And I think the Bronco is winning over a lot of folks just because of that. You know, they'll come and test drive them. They'll go drive a Jeep, and they'll come and drive a Bronco, or vice versa. That's always the best thing to do before you uh, decide to plant your flag on the hill of one of those models. I don't recommend anybody, if they have any uh, concern at all about whether they're going to like it in the long term, drive it first. You don't want to replace a comfortable SUV that you've hauled your kids around and feel comfortable doing and, and you still have the kids around and you want to go buy a Jeep because you think it's cool. It's not cool about six months later. And the same thing goes for the Bronco. I mean, my wife and I drove a Bronco for a while. She really wanted to drive one and see what it was like. We kept it for probably, I don't know, six months and she liked it. It was really cool at first. She said, you know, she liked the way it sat. She liked the way it looked. But, you know, finally she said, Lenny, I really need a third row seat. I need more storage area back here. I don't like having to open up the back the way it opens up. I'd rather just have a big hatch. I said, honey, I get it. And, you know, we never could travel in it. We always had to take my truck. So now she's driving a Nissan Pathfinder. And it's just so smooth and comfortable. has three row seating. Um, it has a great sound system. It's quiet. I was driving down the road in that thing the other day. Just, I, I was amazed how quiet. It feels like I'm driving an electric vehicle. That's how good those things are. 
But you know, and and Nissan's not the only one. I mean, yes, I'm a Nissan dealer, but a lot of vehicles are like that in that class. And if you try to uh, take on a Jeep Wrangler or a Bronco, you're going to be sorry. So anyway, let me get back on some of these rivals. I was just penciling a few in here. Of course, Ford and Chevy. I mean, you you think about how long their rival rivalry has been going on. It's really since the 20s. I mean, they've always General Motors, uh, Chevrolet division of General Motors and Ford have always been going after each other. Uh, not only in just you know trying to uh, control the consumer market, but also in racing, and that's where a lot of the competition has developed over the years. I won't name all the different models that compete head to head, but they pretty much do compete head to head. They have, uh, you know, each one has a particular model that they go against the other one. You remember the Ford Tempo and the Ford Granada and the Ford Contour? You know, all of these different cars that came out all in the middle segment trying to compete against what Chevrolet was doing. And just a bunch of failed experiments. I mean, the Granada lasted a little while. Fairmont. I actually drove a Ford Fairmont on my honeymoon. We drove, went to San Francisco, rented a car from Avis, a Ford Fairmont. I was quite ashamed. I was a Chevrolet dealer at the time, so it was tough. I mean, they handed me that Ford key, and I said, Really? It's my honeymoon. Sorry, that's all we got. So we drove that Fairmont down to the Monterey Peninsula, stayed right there in Monterey, went on the 17-mile drive and saw Pebble Beach and all that, and then we headed down through the Big Sur, down Highway 1. If you've never gone on that drive, you need to do it before you die because it is, well, I don't know if the road's washed out now, but it is amazing. Through San Simeon, San Luis Obispo, and all the way down to Los Angeles, where we stayed a few days, and I got a case of poison ivy. I think I got it in Muir Woods. You don't want to get poison ivy on your honeymoon. Not good. We figured out ways to work around it, though. Okay, uh, more rivalries. Mercedes-Benz, who's their rival? Well, it used to be BMW. I don't know if they're playing in the same field now. I think they probably still are. Of course, uh, Honda and Toyota. You know, you think about the biggest rivalry there. What vehicles would it be? Would well, be mid-sized passenger cars, the Camry and Accord. Do you realize that Ford had the number one selling car in America at one time? Passenger car. Remember what it was called? That's right, the Ford Taurus. It outsold Honda and, or the Accord and the Camry. But it didn't last long. You know why? Ford started monkeying with it. And they tried to, they, they took the design to the extreme. That thing actually had a completely oval rear window. And as a Chevrolet dealer, we would look at that and just laugh. Why would anybody buy something like that? But people did buy them, just not as many as they, they had at one time. And so what's Ford end up doing? dropping the Taurus. Did Honda and Toyota drop the Camry and Accord? No, they just kept selling more and more. So one year the Accord would be the best-selling car in the country, and then the Camry would. And pretty much Camry has dominated over the years. But really, passenger cars just don't really sell anymore. I mean, you look at uh, Ford, um, you look at GM. Let's see, Ford only sells a Mustang. They don't have a Ford or uh, family car anymore. I mean, when I became a Ford dealer, we had the Focus, we had, and the Taurus came back out. Uh, what else did we have? Focus, Taurus. Oh, Fusion, Ford Fusion. And it was a really good car. 
Um, but it didn't sell against the Camry and the Accord, nor did the uh, Chevy Malibu. You know, Chevrolet tried to resurrect a Malibu name. Nah, people didn't like it. They just, you know, they slap a really good name on a really crappy car. That's just the way it was. You know, some famous rivalries would include Ferrari. Who would their rival be? Lamborghini. Or McLaren. I mean, you could say McLaren. McLaren doesn't sell that many vehicles. has to be Lamborghini. Um, what would be a Swedish rivalry that you can recall? That's right. Volvo. Can you remember their rival? Saab. Yeah, they were both Swedish manufacturers, and they were struggling. And so who bought Volvo? Not General Motors. Ford bought Volvo. And General Motors said, well, shoot, we want our Swedish company. And so they bought Saab. Uh, Volvo was able to survive Ford's mismanagement at the time, and uh, but Saab was not. Uh, General Motors tried to turn a Malibu into a Saab 9.3. Um, nobody was having it. So you know how many cars Saab sold last year? None. Saab does not make cars anymore or SUVs. They make airplane parts and radar systems and navigation systems, and so forth. They're still a going concern. They just don't make cars anymore because General Motors ruined them. You know, there are quite a few companies that really didn't have any rivals. You know, one that comes to mind is Subaru. I mean, who competes with Subaru? I mean, all their vehicles are four-wheel drive. And uh, I guess you could say that, you know, that certain companies would compete with their SUVs, but, you know, nobody really makes a wagon like the Outback that competes with the uh, the Subaru Outback. So I don't think I think they have a niche or a niche or a niche all their own. Uh, nobody keeps keeps up with uh, Mitsubishi. Nobody needs to. Uh, Porsche, you know, they're a luxury car for sure. I guess there's they're a lot less than a Ferrari and quite a bit more than a BMW. They have kind of have it up to themselves, you know, not not their SUV business, the Macan and the Cayenne. I guess they compete with uh, the offerings from Jaguar and Audi and companies like that. But, you know, their cars, they, they own it pretty much. You know, I think about Mercury. What did Mercury compete against? Maybe somebody would look at a Mercury in a Oldsmobile back in the day. I don't know. I don't know how much cross, uh, how, many, how often did somebody that was driving a Mercury say, I'm going to go buy an Oldsmobile. You know, Oldsmobile was really a com- competitor for Buick its own division. You know, when General Motors was formed, they wanted to start, have Chevrolet at the bottom and Cadillac at the top and everybody else in the middle. Uh, Pontiac was the sporty, supposed to be the sporty division of General Motors. But, you know, a lot of people that that followed Chevrolet and were loyal to Chevrolet would disagree with that. But Pontiac really didn't, didn't have any competitors. I never shopped a deal against a Pontiac, except when the Grand Am came out. You know, we, we were selling... I guess the Malibu uh, at that same time. And, um, you know, the Grand Am was a really good seller back in the the late 80s and, and early 90s. Uh, and then you have Plymouth. You know, I don't know who they competed against. I guess they didn't compete very well against anybody or they would still be around. I remember that the, what was it called? Let's see, the Plymouth Reliant. When, when Lee Iacocca came and rescued the company, he uh, introduced the Dodge Aries, the Plymouth Reliant, 
there was a Chrysler version of those cars, but they sold really well, and they were a very low price point, and they competed very well with uh, different uh, models from from our Chevy store, and uh, probably from Oldsmobile and and Pontiac, and they did a good job against Ford as well. They were just priced really good, and people bought them. I'm going to get into a few other rivalries, and I'll be back here in just a minute. Okay, I'm back. We became a Mazda dealer in 1977, and it was 1979, Mazda came out with a, an incredible car that we sold just like gangbusters. It was called the Mazda RX-7. It was a rotary engine vehicle. People thought that it would not sell, but it did. And its primary rival was the, well, it was the Datsun back then. Datsun 240Z, well, by then it was the 280Z. And uh, we did really well with that vehicle, but Datsun did better. But they were incredible rivals on the street and at the racetrack. So that really helped Mazda uh, continue to grow market share. Never got quite as good as the, as the Datsun 280Z. Did better when the Datsun 280Z became the 300Z and the 340Z, and they just kept adding letters and numbers and so forth. They added a ZX at one time and then added a back seat, and they kind of lost their way a little bit, and Mazda did not. And so uh, that changed the game. Remember the Olds 98? Who was its main competitor? Well, you could say something from Ford or um, maybe Lincoln, possibly, but it's actually the Buick Electra 225, the deuce and a quarter. Another great rivalry was the Suburban versus the Expedition. Now, uh, of course, General Motors invented that class with the Suburban, the Chevrolet Suburban. I think it came out in the late 30s, early 40s, where they first called it a Suburban. Uh, Ford came out with the Bronco, and then uh, it they changed the name of it, and then they had the Expedition, and then the Excursion. I don't know if you remember the Excursion, but the Excursion got killed by the terrible fuel economy, and it was really at the wrong time. The public kind of turned against it, and the government did. They started bad-mouthing uh, big SUVs. and So, you know, when the government doesn't like you, they're going to find a way to get rid of you. You know, and, and the last one is in the small truck realm. Tacoma versus everybody else. You know, that truck just outsells everybody, even though it is a little bit ancient in certain ways. But the Frontier, the Nissan Frontier that we sell is catching up to it. So I just love these rivalries. I like talking about them. I like uh, reminiscing, you know, about some of these pastimes. Uh, I'm lucky to be able to continue to see rivalries in play. And, you know, it keeps you sharp. A good salesperson knows as much about his uh, com competition's vehicle as he does his. And it also is a great benefit to the consumer who's out shopping. The problem is that a lot of consumers, if you say anything bad about somebody else's product, they think you're being biased. And sometimes you're just being honest. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru. If I can help you with anything, give me a call or text me 423-552-2020. Or email me at mycarguru2020 at gmail.com. Well, I'll see you next time.